0: The New Testament reading is taken from 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 17, to chapter 6, verse 2. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing in masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers rather they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved teach and urge these things
1: Thanks very much, Liz. Uh, Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Um, I'm sorry to be here uh, for the reason that Ben is off with COVID, but I'm equally very glad to be here to uh, catch up with you and help out. So before we uh, look more at that passage Liz just read for us, let me lead us in prayer. Father, please would you keep using this part of your written word to show us what we should be like as a church family and Please make us more like it. In Jesus' name, amen. I was talking to my cousin. I have two Irish cousins. I was talking to one of them a while back about what she believes. And uh, she was brought up going to church as a kid, care of a Christian mum, And then she walked away from Christianity completely. And I said to her, what put you off? And she said, well, when you see one vicar run off with another man's wife and the next vicar embezzling the funds, it kind of undermines the credibility of Christianity. And if you're not yet a Christian, something like that may be the reason why, but even if you are, you may well have been disillusioned and hurt by the misbehavior of Christian leaders. That is why Paul wrote 1 Timothy, which he'd been looking at, because the church in Ephesus had leaders behaving badly, uh, that's my title for this morning. And Timothy was trying to sort them out. Uh, the verses that we're going to look at, they'll be going up on the screens if you prefer to follow them in a physical Bible. It's page 992, page 993. Um, so let me remind you first of the key verse of this letter. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul says, he wrote 1 Timothy, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household or family of God. Because that's what St. Joseph's is. You are the local household or family of God. And today's passage is about how church leaders particularly should behave in it. So if we dive in at chapter 5, verse 17, uh, it begins. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor and that's why my first heading is this godly leaders should be honored and financially supported now that verse doesn't use the word leaders but elders that's the new testament word for the overall elders the sorry the overall leaders of a local church family and it gives two clues about who they are and what they do so for one thing it says that elders rule and if that conjures up pictures of uh, Ken sitting on a throne up here, complete with scepter, crown, and tartan robe flowing, um, and barking orders at all of you. Can I say, back in chapter 3, verse 4, the same word is translated manage. It says, An elder must manage his own household, family, well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care? For God's church. So the real picture is the church is God's family, and the elders are to manage it, in other words, lead it, plan for it, care for its members, just like a godly father would for his own family. So, chapter 5, verse 17 again let the elders who rule, manage, care well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now some people think Paul was talking about two kinds of elders there, some who just manage and some who manage and teach. Um, I'm not convinced about that, because in chapter three Paul says all elders need to be able to teach. So I think the picture is that all elders manage and teach, but in different proportions depending on their gifts and depending on the needs of the church. Uh, at any given time another thing the New Testament says is that elders are always plural so local church leadership should never be a one man band because that has all sorts of pitfalls and dangers which you may well have met in your Christian experience so far so as you were applying to join Amy the Anglican Mission in England I'm glad to say uh, that they have this on their website The spiritual leadership of appointed and licensed clergy—I hate that word, don't you? Sounds like a disease. We've we've got clergy, but we're but we're treating it with antibiotics. Um, uh, Sorry. The spiritual leadership of appointed and licensed clergy, e.g., Ken, is assisted by the participation of other members of the congregation. In each member church, there should be a council of godly and gifted individuals who assist the senior minister in the work of gospel ministry. So it's fine for Ken to be the senior of a leadership team. It's not fine either for Ken or for you as his church family for him to be a one-man band. That's a lose-lose. So back to verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, which means worthy of honor in two ways. One way is that godly elders should be respected. Now, this is a spiritual family. God wants the relationships in it to feel like family. He wants them to be close, brotherly, sisterly relationships with one another, including with Ben and Ken uh, and with Tom and Muhammad, your wardens, and with those on the church council. But as well as being brothers, who you can have a laugh and a banter with, they are leaders to be respected. It's both and. We need to get that right. And we need to respect the decisions that leaders make on our behalf, even when they are not the decisions that we would have preferred. As my previous vicar used to say, Loyalty begins at the point of disagreement because if you agree with every decision that your leaders make, you're not being loyal, you're just getting your own way. One book I read on fatherhood uh, said some dads wanting to be close to their kids end up just being Mr. Nice uh, and others who rightly want their kids to learn to respect them end up being Captain Nasty, as he puts it. And God doesn't want either extreme. He, He wants fathers to be close to and respected by their kids. And the same goes for leaders in a church family, same dynamic. But the other way they're worthy of honor, if ministry is their full-time work, is that godly elders should be financially supported Verse 18 says four. The scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So that's quoting an Old Testament law which basically says, look, make sure you feed your ox while it's working for you. And Paul takes that from the Old Testament. He applies it to New Testament ministry, ministry to the likes of Ken and Ben and myself. He says, look, they're just dumb animals working for you. Please make sure that they and their family get some oats. The next bit of that verse says the laborer deserves his wages. And that's a quote from the Lord Jesus himself about those whose full-time labor uh, is leading a local church. And Ben is probably glad that he's not now preaching this care of COVID. And Ken is probably glad that he hasn't had to step in either uh, because he's also got COVID. Because coming from them, this would just sound like singing singing for their supper, wouldn't it? But it's not even that I'm here singing on their behalf. This is God's word to you. And it's saying you should support them and the other paid staff here. And that quote from the Lord Jesus is pretty strong, isn't it? He's saying, if you are a Christian benefiting from the full-time ministry of Christian workers, they deserve, is the word, your financial support. You owe them. And if this has helped you kind of realize that for the first time, that you need to be part of that, then why not talk to one of the church staff or check out the uh, the giving page of the church website. So that's point one. Godly leaders should be honored and financially supported. Point two is this. Ungodly leaders should be disciplined. So remember the key verse, chapter 3, verse 15. This bit of the Bible is so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household, the family of God. And a godly family isn't just a place of love, is it? It's, it's also going to be a place of discipline. Or to put it better, discipline is one angle of love. It's an expression of love, isn't it? And the same goes for a church family. So Paul says next that ungodly elders should be disciplined. I've widened that to ungodly leaders because the ministry here is shared with many of you who are small group leaders, um, youth and children's leaders I know most, most of those are downstairs now and so on and so on that means the credibility of St. Joseph's ministry depends on the behaviour of many more people than just Ken and Ben many other leaders staff and non-staff so what does Paul teach about church family discipline here the, the aim of which is to keep us godly especially those of us who are leading well one lesson is be sure of the facts before you act. Look at verse 19. Do not submit a charge against an elder, in this case, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, for example, a while back, someone came to me in JPC and said, Ian, you need to be aware that one of uh, the small group leaders is letting the side down by getting drunk regularly, and people are aware of it increasingly. Over to you. And verse 19 says, step one is, Ian, be sure of the facts before you act. Don't just listen to one person's allegation. Talk to more than one. Investigate. But what do you do if a leader has settled into some fallen uh, pattern of wrong behavior? And it's public. And at least some others in the church know about it. Well, verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. The way I'm going to put that is that another lesson is this. The public sins of leaders need dealing with publicly. Now, you might be backing off and saying, hold on, didn't Jesus say, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone? Same applies for your sister. And that's right. Where it's a private wrong a brother or sister has wronged you, what do you do? You pick them up on it privately. It doesn't go any further in the hope that they're going to listen, they're going to admit that they've got it wrong, and it will be sorted out between the two of you. But here, Paul is talking about something very different. He's talking about very public, serious wrongs, like the ones my cousin mentioned, the vicar who ran off with another man's wife, the next one who had his hand in the collection. And everyone in the church knew And in situations like that, if nothing is done publicly, everyone is badly affected. The least worst scenario is that the public sins of leaders confuse people if they're not disciplined. So think of that um, that brother I mentioned who was letting the side down in our church family through falling into more and more regular drunkenness. Imagine that I'd done nothing. I hadn't gone to him to have conversations. and, And he didn't want to be there either. He wanted help. But imagine I hadn't gone to him to have conversations to say, you know, we need to get you out of this. And I hadn't had conversations with the other people aware to reassure them that, look, we are, we are doing what needs to be done about this. We're responding appropriately. That would have left people saying, well, you know, I thought the Bible rules out drunkenness, but, you know, maybe it's okay after all. If the, Ian's not doing anything about it. That's the message you send. But the even worse scenario is that the public sins of leaders scandalize people and are the reason they just walk away from Christianity like my cousin has so far done. Because she knew that those vicars were doing the wrong thing and she knew that the church authorities were also doing the wrong thing by guess what? Just moving them to another ministry. Now you may be thinking, um, this just sounds incredibly judgmental. And I think verse 21 helps with that. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. you know, That's the presence we're in. We're, if we're believers, we are living by their spirit in the presence of, of God and the Lord Jesus. And he says, in, in their presence I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So Paul's saying that please don't get me wrong, I don't want any of you playing judge to one another. I want all of us to remember that we are living in the presence of of the one who is our judge and that we need to be helping each other aim for his standards. And it goes without saying that we will all fall short of his standards. There's his standards, there's us. On the best day of our Christian lives, let alone our worst, we, we fall short There is that gap that needs covering with his grace and forgiveness. And the heart of the Christian message is that that gap has been covered by Jesus paying for every way uh, that we will ever fall short of those standards, paying for everything we'll ever need forgiveness for. That gap has been covered, which means that if we are trusting in Jesus, then as God works on our sinfulness day to day and yes including using the discipline of of us picking one another up on it in the right kind of way while he's doing that we can be absolutely sure he is never going to give up on us. So I want to say all of this is based on God's grace which means that God always loves and accepts us just as we are but He also loves us too much to leave us as we are. Just like a good parent loves a child too much just to overlook what needs picking up and challenging and changing. And that's why he disciplines us and uh, including through one another. So that's point two, ungodly leaders should be disciplined. So for your application to join Amy, the Anglican mission in England, um, I filled in a couple of weeks ago a a long and involved reference form uh, about you and particularly about Ken. And uh, it's good that one question I had to answer was this, are there any areas of the candidate's character that you are concerned about? Um, So, Obviously, I, I wrote at length about his liking Iron Brew, which I've always felt is a deep character flaw uh, in, in Ken. But it's, it's good that on his form, two questions Ken had to answer were these. What areas of the sinful self are you currently trying to kill? And is there anything in your private life which, if it became public, would be a scandal? And I thought, good for Amy, because they are taking this passage of the Bible seriously. Okay, last point, point three. New leaders should be very carefully appointed. Back in chapter three, uh, you saw the criteria that Paul gave Timothy for choosing new leaders. For example, chapter three, verse two says this. Therefore, an overseer, which is another word for an elder, must be above reproach. That cannot, of course, mean sinless, but it means sincere. Sincere not open to any charge of a double life, and and you know that they are aiming for godliness. Above reproach, the husband of one wife, that doesn't mean they have to be married, but if they are, they are faithful, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Nothing in there about iron brew, thankfully. Um, What is striking there is that Paul basically says, look for godliness, not just for giftedness in fact the only giftedness mentioned is able to teach other than that everything in 1 Timothy 3 about elders and deacons is just what the New Testament elsewhere says is the normal godliness of every Christian what does that tell you? it tells you that first and foremost Christian leadership is by example it's not by doing what I'm doing now so that vicar previous vicar of mine that I quoted who uh, died as quite a young man, aged 63, um, when he announced to the congregation that he had terminal cancer, he said, for the last 20 years, my job has been to set you an example of how to live as a Christian. And for the next however many months, my job is to set you an example of how to die as one. That's why the crucial criterion is godliness. And the point is, It takes time to suss godliness out. By contrast, you can spot giftedness uh, very quickly. You know, put a great guitarist up here and you've got riffs galore or uh, someone gives a brilliant talk uh, at a one-off midweek meeting and people think, wow, we should get them doing more. Well, only if there is tried and tested godliness under the giftedness which is why Paul says, verse 22, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, uh, which is just the formal way that the elders were appointed. Don't be hasty in appointing new leaders because it takes time to suss out godliness. So that's why it takes time, for example, to make new appointments to the church staff, either when someone uh, like Chris with Rosie is is moving on or when you're wanting to add staff in order to grow. Uh, And it it, it takes a careful process to suss out godliness, and and that can be a frustrating delay. So I've, you know, over the years at, at JPC, involved in the appointment of staff, we've been up against this again and again. The place is creaking. You need more hands on deck. You interview. You say, yeah, they've definitely got the gifts, but godliness, character, maturity, and you go back to the drawing board because a hasty appointment is going to be bad news for everyone. The same goes for appointing leaders throughout the church family, your small group leaders, youth and children's leaders, uh, cap leaders and so on and so forth. So I'm aware you may be a newish Christian here or newly moved from another church you may want to get involved in leading, that's great, but the people responsible for the whole leadership here have got to get to know you more. So You may be disappointed that uh, you haven't more quickly been invited into leadership, but think of this. You ought to be much more disappointed if you were invited, you know, two weeks after first coming through the door. What kind of misjudgment does that say your leadership is making if they operate like that? So Paul says, uh, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. And then comes the out of the blue verse, which everyone says, what on earth is this doing here? No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So Paul knows Timothy has a medical problem. Uh, back then small amounts of wine were regarded as medicinal so that makes sense of why Paul says it but why does he say it here apparently out of the blue when he's discussing other things well I I think it's not out of the blue I think it's because of what he's just written which is don't take part in the sins of others keep yourself pure one of the sins of the other elders in Ephesus was drunkenness because Paul has mentioned it Timothy may well have responded to that by going teetotal so that people would perceive him as totally different from from them. And Paul says, yep, that's a good leadership principle to think how people will perceive your actions. Because you are in the public eye and you do need to think what effect your behavior will have on people, what example it sets, what signals it sends. So a couple of our single leaders uh, in JPC were, were traveling to Northern Ireland for the same uh, wedding that I was taking part in um, last year. Um, and they just happened to tell me that they were planning to share you know, a, a twin B&B for one of the nights. I said, hold on, you know, how, how are people gonna perceive that? What, what are they gonna be assuming you're doing? The Christians, let alone not Christians. So coming back to Timothy, Paul is saying to him, look, there's a, there's a good medical reason for you not being teetotal, even if that might be misperceived by some people. I guess Paul would say, look, you cannot always successfully guard against wrong perceptions, but if you are a leader, you need to think very carefully about the signals your behaviour is sending. So to wrap up what he says about appointing new leaders, Paul writes, the sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. I think that's just a final reminder, it takes time to suss out godliness, ungodliness. So new leaders should be very carefully appointed. Uh, that's the final whistle. I'm going I'm to leave out chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, uh, but I'll put something on them in the uh, transcript on the website. Um, let me end with three quick things in extra time. First, can I say that if the misbehavior of Christian leaders is the reason or largely the reason why you're not yet a Christian, then I am sorry on behalf of all of us, and I acknowledge that uh, that can be deeply disillusioning and hurtful. Can I also gently say, please don't write off the Christian message because of the hypocrisy of Christians. Their hypocrisy does not change the truth about Jesus. Second thing I want to say is, however much your church staff and your uh, non-staff leaders here uh, live up to what we've been looking at this morning, um, they remain sinners and works in progress just like you, so they will disappoint you, um, frustrate you, let you down, and you are gonna have to bear with their ungodliness just as they are bearing with yours. And the third thing is just to remind you, you know this, um, the credibility of the ministry here, the attractiveness of this church family to everyone around here who doesn't yet know Jesus, doesn't just depend on a few leaders, does it? Depends on every member of this church family And that is why, to quote the key verse of 1 Timothy once more, this has really been all about how we all ought to behave in the family of God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this church family. Thank you for how you brought it into being as we've just celebrated again with the anniversary just gone. Thank you for how you've kept it and grown it over the past six years. Thank you for every leader here, uh, on the staff or not. And we pray for each of them that you would keep them all faithful, that you would grow them in godliness uh, so that their ministry, whatever giftedness there is, we pray that their ministry may above all be an overflow of their walk with you. And Father, for all of us here uh, who trust in the Lord Jesus. We pray that our relationships with one another here at church uh, are welcome to those who are just finding their way into this church and our lives uh, in all the walks of life that we occupy throughout the week, that all of this would make the gospel of Jesus attractive. We ask it in his name. Amen.